This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 2nd, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Section that we've been reading, if you recall, Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and tortured and crucified and rise on the third day. And so upon arrival, which was last week's lesson, he um, got into a discussion with the Pharisees because he was teaching in the temple, and they wanted to know, you know who gave him permission to do that, what authority are you doing this on, and that he told the parable of the two sons who were told to go work, one who did and one who didn't. And then he goes on to say, let me tell you this parable. And he tells them, there was a guy who bought a vineyard. And he fixed the vineyard up. He put a nice hedge around it to keep animals out and stuff. And, and he put a wine press in it and, you know, got it really ready. And then he sublet it to tenants. Now, the deal in that basically was that they were going to um, work the, the vineyard and, and they would take the produce and that he would get a percentage and they would get a percentage. You know, that way he had invested all the money and um, he would get a return on his investment and, and they would be able to make a living doing that. And so when the harvest time came, and then he moved, he went to another country, long way away. You know what they say if you're a tenant with an absentee landlord, out of sight, out of mind. And so here he is, and, and, and he says, well, it's about harvest time. I think I'll send some of my servants over and collect the produce that's my share of it. And so they go over, well, they beat them and stone, throw them out. We're not giving you anything, are you kidding me? I think, well, that's really, that wasn't in the contract. And so he sends even more servants, thinking, well, maybe if it's a bigger bunch of them, there'll be a little less raisin about the whole thing. So he sends a bunch of people over. Well, they do the same thing to them. He, he's dumbfounded. Why in the world are they doing this? So finally he says, I, I'm going to send my son, because they'll think twice. You know, that's what respect really means, is to see again. But they'll think twice before they do this to my son. I mean, after all, he's going to own this place. And so when the son gets there, they look at him and say, that's the heir, that's the guy's son. Let's kill him, and that way we get to take it for ourselves. We'll just keep it all. And so they do, they kill him. And then Jesus asks the Pharisees a question. He says, what will the landowner do to these tenants? And they say, well, he'll come and, have, and, and kill them and give them the wretched death they deserve, and he'll hire other tenants who will, you know, pay their, you know, produce to them, the part they're supposed to pay. Now, that all seems reasonable, by and large. I mean, killing them might be a little bit of a stretch, but, but we would say, you know, an injustice has been done. He's made a deal. You know, they've made a deal. They're not, you know, going along with it. So they deserve to lose what they had. Except that's not really where Jesus goes with it, which is what's fascinating. You know, you would think that that would make sense. Now, one of the things you have to keep in mind is, in our minds, who's the landowner? And who is the son? And who are the servants that came and asked for it? The prophets. See, we've, 2,000 years later, we've heard this so much that we can just automatically get the answers right. Except that what we need to remember is that that is not the way that the Jews in that place would have thought about it. So when he said, told them this parable, they weren't thinking anything about the, 
you know, you had Jesus, the Messiah, who's come down and all this sort of stuff, and he'd send the son. Who, who in their mind most likely would have been the landowner? Well, who, who owned Israel? Rome. But who did all the work in Israel? The Israelites. And so when people would come and tell them, then they would persecute them. Do you think the Jews experienced persecution? Of course they did. And who is the son then that they're talking about? Well, they have a term, the son of man. But we say Jesus. They didn't know who he was. The Mashiach, the anointed one, who would come and restore the, the kingdom to Israel the way it should be. So they had it in their mind, this is unjust. And ultimately what will happen is the Messiah will come and he will throw out the rascals. And things will be set right. And it will be good. And, and we would tend to think, okay, that makes sense. Then Jesus' response comes in. He says, but haven't you heard? I know you all have heard this before. But that, the, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now that's straight from Isaiah 8. Why in the world is he bringing up things about stones in the middle of this? What has that got to do with them? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, when people were building buildings, particularly masons, when they were building buildings, they would have to go and inspect the stones for how much weight they could bear. Because if there were fissures in them, if there were cracks and things, then you probably didn't want to use that you know, as part of your foundation. Because the more weight that came down on it, what's going to happen to it? It's going to split apart and fall apart. But he goes on to say that not only is it one that the builders rejected because it wouldn't bear the weight of the building, but it becomes the chief cornerstone. Anybody here an engineer who may know what a chief cornerstone would be? It's like a keystone. Keystones are in arches, but that would be a type of corner, a chief cornerstone. You know what a, a keystone is? Uh, the Romans, when they would build arches, would put stones, and they would make arches, and then they would put one right in the middle because all the weight would go to that one stone because it would all try to fall, but it would all fall against the stone. So it had to be pretty strong to hold everything up. It's really interesting. If you go to Rome today, you are actually walking on top most of the time of places there's a city underneath there that, that has arches. It's holding everything else up. I mean, it's amazing. And, and so you're really dependent when you're walking around there on those keystones because if they ever fell down, you know, you're going to get a big sinkhole. The thing would fall apart. So this stone that the builders looked at and said, no, that'll never hold, bear the weight. It's not going to make it. Becomes not only something that'll be weight-bearing, but becomes like the primary one. The one to which all of the other weights are going to come to. And they're thinking, what's this got to do with a vineyard, right? And he says, because of this, I tell you, the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and given it to those who will bear fruit. And it says they took offense at that. Can you imagine? It'd be like if somebody came in and said, you bunch of rascally Anglicans, God has rejected you and he's going to give the kingdom to the Mormons. You'd be going, what did I do? You know, and is it any wonder that they were furious? Because what he was really saying is that 
they were the tenants who were rejecting everyone. They were rejecting the rightful owner of everything, which was God. And it said they wanted to put him to death, but they were afraid of the crowds. Now, what's fascinating about this passage is there's one thing in there that, that I left out in that whole saying about the chief cornerstone. And what he says is, I tell you, anyone who falls upon this rock will what? No, not crushed. Be broken. Anyone on whom this stone falls will be crushed. So if you fall on it, you'll be broken. If it falls on you, you'll be crushed. Now, crushed isn't exactly what the Greek word means here. Um, it, it means that, but it means more than that, too. The word crushed here means will be turned into powder, you know, pulverized or emulsified or something. I mean, which we don't, crushed doesn't quite get the same thing. It'll be taken and, and, and made into powder. Now, what, what kinds of things would they have used stones for to pulverize things? Grind grain, yeah. And when they grind grain, what they do is they put the grain in under the stone, and they let the stone down, and then they let it crush it, and they turn it. Do you know why they turn it? Hmm? <laughs> the grinding action is very good. Um, because when you do that, you want to get the, the chaff, the, the stalk part of things, which is more, um, it holds together more, separated out from the, the grain, which will hold together better and turn to more of a, a pebbly type substance. And so what they would do is it would be they would pulverize it so that the chaff would ultimately be pushed out. And the only thing that was left underneath remaining would be the good grain. Now, why would they want the chaff to go away? Yeah, you wouldn't want to eat it. The grain's what you want to eat. So they separate the wheat from the chaff by doing that. And that's why it's significant. Because what Jesus is really saying is that it's not an option as to whether or not you're going to encounter the stone. Everyone encounters the stone. It's the chief cornerstone. It is the one by which all the weight of everything is measured. But when you encounter it, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to fall on it. Now, what makes you fall on things? Now, you trip over it. Why would you trip over something? <laughs> it's in the way, right? Or you can have it fall on you and you'll be crushed. You'll be powderized. And that which is evil, which is useless, will be removed. And the only thing that will remain is that which is what? Good. Remember Jesus says the gospel is a two-edged sword? It's always a two-edged sword. It always brings grace, but it also always brings judgment. For those who don't want the judgment, very often we aren't going to let it crush us, so what we're going to do is we're going to try to knock it out of the way. But when we try to knock it out of the way, we fall upon it and break ourselves open. But when we allow it to grind us, we can become useful. What Jesus is trying to tell them here is that, that it's not just a simple matter of God's going to throw the rascals out. Because we're all rascals. It's a matter of what is it that our relationship to the stone is going to be like. Because if we see the stone as a stumbling block, 
then we're going to fall on it. But if we see the stone as a grinding stone, then we'll be refined. We see this kind of imagery happening all through Scripture. Now, before I move on, I'm going to ask you, who do you think the Pharisees thought Jesus was talking about that was going to fall on it and break open? The Pharisees. Not all the Israelites, the Pharisees. And, and who was going to be their stumbling block? Who did they take offense at? Jesus. So he's already provoking them. He's saying, look, I know what the deal is here. We see Paul later talks about that, that the gospel, the good news of Christ, is a stumbling block to Jews. It's foolishness to the Greeks. They just think it's silly. But it's a stumbling block to Jews. Harkening back to the same parable that he was talking about here. And Paul talks about these same kinds of things in other words. In today's epistle lesson, we see that same thing coming up again. In the epistle lesson today, Paul is talking about how some people in Philippi apparently are bragging about their expertise. They're very, very good at what they do. And they're walking around saying, well, I've got a PhD and I know that this doesn't work like this, this is like this. Or, you know, I've been a, a master carpenter for so long, and I know this is supposed to be this way. They all have an opinion. You can tell it's a church. Um, and so they, they're all arguing about who it is that, that, whose opinion ought to be listened to. Who is the smartest? Who is the most talented among them? And Paul comes in in his usual modest kind of way and says, well, I'm better than all of you. I got three PhDs. Heck, I studied with Gamaliel, the best teacher in the whole world. I mean, who can do that? No, you all can do that. You're not that bright. You know, you've been circumcised? Well, I was circumcised. Right? You became a Jew. Well, I was a better Jew than you were. And he's going on telling him, I was zealous for the law. I kept every little piece of it. I was good at it. Now, you people weren't that good at it. And then he goes on to say, however... I count all that as loss for the opportunity to gain the prize that is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, and for that prize, I am willing to press on. Now that word press is, um, again, in the Greek means to, to strive, to work hard. It's like when a runner is running a marathon and you get to that point where you can't run anymore and you just, you know, punch through that wall and get your second win. You just keep going. Now, I don't understand that personally, but I understand from runners that does happen. Um, but it's that ability to move beyond what you believe your capabilities are. And, and, and that's what he says I'm all about. I, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep working. Even when I feel like I can't work anymore, I'm going to push on anyway to attain that goal. Now, that goal is the crown of righteousness that is the resurrection, that perfection that God had in mind. And he said, in everything else, my three PhDs in studying with Gamaliel, my being the best Jew the planet ever saw, all those things are worthless. I count them as nothing. As a matter of fact, I count them, he says, as in our um, translation day, he says, as rubbish. I consider them rubbish. It's always nice when they clean up the Bible. Um, the Greek word is skubalon. Gives you an idea where Scooby-Doo came from. Skubalon means excrement. That's the nice word for it. I won't say the other one. Um, 
It means excrement. I count it as waste product that after you eat comes out the other end. That's what it's worth to me. All of the education, all of the fame, all of the prestige, all of the power that I had, all of that is nothing but excrement. It's worthless. Because it isn't why I was here. It isn't why I was made. I was made to attain the crown of righteousness. And to do that, I have to do the things that God gave me to do. And what those things are is to go and tell the world the good news that God has come in the form of His Son. And He's died on a cross and been raised to new life so that we might share in His resurrection. So that we might not have to live being slaves to who's important and who makes the most money and who is the smartest and who is the prettiest and all of those kinds of things. Who has the best physique? Because none of those are really important. What's really important is to live out our lives for the purposes that God had planned. Now, what he is saying is that it's excrement. Is, is it worthless then to eat if it turns into excrement? No, I mean, we still eat, don't we? Some of us more than others. Um, like me. But, but we still eat. Why do we eat? It's nourishment, yeah. I mean, we, we need it to be able to do anything, don't we? We'd ever eat, we'd starve, we'd be dead. So it's not that in and of itself it's bad, but when we begin to live out our lives thinking that food is the reason why I was created, then you got a problem. Because it's not the reason why you were created. Each one of us is, was made by God for a reason. I don't know if you know that or not, but believe it or not, when you were formed in the womb, God didn't go, how'd they get in there? Well, he, he wasn't surprised by the fact that you were being you know, formed. He knew who you were even then. And he had a plan for why you were here and what it is that he wanted you to be and do in this life. The problem with it is, is that when we don't live out that, when we begin to chase after other things because the world tells us they're important, then we're like dogs wallowing in excrement. We've forgotten the reason why we were here. We've forgotten what it is that we are really all about. And the truth is, is that if we want to live out our lives, we have to begin to let go of those things that were before. Now, that can be good and bad. It can be good in the sense that Probably some of the things came before you just assume you hadn't done anyway, right? Let go of it. Doesn't matter anymore. Some of the things you did before, you might be really proud of it. Think, well, you made me smart. Let go of it. It's not the important thing. All of those were nourishment so that you could do the things that God created you to do and to serve Him. And nothing else really matters. All of the things that have made up your life up to this point aren't things to sit around and waller in and be ashamed of or things to sit around and be puffed up and proud of. They're things to say, Lord, how do I use that to serve you, to do that which you would give me to do? How do I live out my life being the person you made me to be? Because that's the upward call, is to be the true creation that God wants us to be and to live out our lives in that way. 
And, and in doing that, there are some things we have to realize. For us, what is wheat for? Food, right? So we just walk in the field, start chewing on the wheat? We process the wheat, don't we? We may turn it into flour and other things. Well, the same thing's true with us. Now, if wheat could feel and think, and you, what do you think it would say during the process of being refined? So what are you doing? I was perfectly happy flowing in the breeze out there. Amber waves of grain, it's wonderful. Well, it's very much like that for us too. We have to be refined because the truth is, is that none of us are truly worthy. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it's a whole lot more fun to look at where, the way you've fallen short of the glory of God than it is to look at the way I've fallen short of the glory of God. Because, after all, I don't have to do anything about the way you've fallen short except for be proud that I didn't do it. When I have to look at my way I've fallen short of the glory of God, I go, oh. Anybody know anything about gold? Anybody ever seen raw gold from, straight from the earth? Yeah, what's it look like? It's a rock, a little shiny, but it's still a rock. Would you want to wear 